the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and we're listening to Ion Real Estate, and I am so thrilled to have a, this guest on, Henry Grubar, and he's a staff writer at Slate, uh, where he writes the Metropolitan column with a focus on housing, transportation, and the environment. Oh, and I'm thrilled to tell you that he just got through with a new book, Paved Paradise, to how parking explains w- the world. And um, it's just out, and um, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm dying to read this, it was, and I, I'm thrilled that you've been on the, that you're on the show, Henry. Why did you decide to write a book at all about parking? What made you like? What prompted you to do that? Because I just I love parking. I love to park. You love to park? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I you know, I'm a reporter, and so I was. I had all these assignments that would take me around the city and I would write about housing and I would write about transportation and I would write about traffic, obviously. Um, and I would write about, you know, flooding and all these different topics seem to have this one issue at their heart. And, uh, and that issue was parking. And it turns out that parking is, is a, is a huge, a huge feature of pretty much everything that we do and, and certainly of everything that we build, but you'll know that. Well, I do. I just don't think people think about it as often as they should until they're out looking <laughs> or they buy something. But I know it affects value. I mean, parking, especially in New York City, is uh, not that easy and expensive. No. And yeah, expensive. It's, it's, <laughs> yes. Okay. Super. And then I think of the people that live in Queens and they have to move their cars every certain amount of hours because you you know, you can't stay on one side, you have to move to the other side. And I'm like, what a pain. But I know that in, in the city, parking is such an, a, a major part of real estate. And then you have to also look and add that cost on to parking. Uh, you know, whatever your payments, whether you're renting or buying, um, there's a hefty price to it. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, it, I think one, pe- one thing people don't realize about parking because they are um, – so reluctant to pay for it is that um, they don't realize how much it costs to build. And, um, and so every time you have to include parking in a new project, not only are you paying money for the, the concrete and the rebar and, um, and all that, but you're also, there's an opportunity cost there because you have taken square footage that might otherwise have uh, served some sort of um, use that paid more money, for example, housing, and you have decided to dedicate it to parking. And um, and that's rarely profitable. And so 
that's one of the reasons that New York City has so few parking spaces, because we have allowed our builders to make a choice about what's mo- what's worth more to them, housing or parking. And they've chosen housing for the most part. And that's actually one of the reasons that New York City has such a vibrant and exciting urban environment, because we have so little parking. I think there's a correlation between uh, how hard it is to park and the vibrancy of the place. I mean, you ever been to someplace where it's really easy to park? Like, it's not that much fun. Well, of course I've been, but not in New York. I can't tell you. Listen, I I grew up on Long Island. You don't, you don't have a car there. You can't live. Okay. But I never yeah. worried about parking, and I would watch people go to, like, a mall and drive around a mall for, like, 25 minutes to get a parking spot that was closest to the store, even if it was just a little bit of a walk. Where in the city, I don't bother bringing my car in anymore. Because the parking in the building I'm in, and I live in a hotel condo, so it's really hotel prices. And I, I park my, my car at my daughter's house who lives somewhere on Long Island. I take a car service in because I really park in the city because I have to make a lot of stops. And I'm not going to take my car every stop that I go to and try to find a space. But at the same token... I can tell you the value. I, I don't know that, you know, I, I never really thought about what you just mentioned and said, like, to the that the building, the builder who builds that probably would get more money for the housing, uh, you know, for rent if he converted that to rentals and not parking. But I would have to tell you that also that, you know, parking, having a parking in the building that you live in is a big plus for the building. And yeah. We- Bring, yeah. and bring this extra rent. I never really figured out what would cost more. Okay, but I think that convenience of having parking and being able to just bring yourself up the elevator, I mean, you know, I was recently in Florida, not that I've not been there a lot, and I said to somebody, my God, I'm going back to New York. And I said, no, you don't get it. I said, New York's a real hard city. I love it. I wouldn't trade it. But it's a hard city to live in. It's work. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think one of the things that makes New York special is its incredible density, right? And oh. that's what makes it different from um, Boston or D.C., to say nothing of Orlando or Jacksonville, right? So um, one of the side effects of that density is that there is, well, there's a high ratio of buildings and people to street space. Street space is at a premium, and so um, there's just a geometric problem there with respect to automobiles. Like, I get it that a lot of people want to drive, they want free parking, they want to drive home from the grocery store and park right in front of their building. But um, given the number of people that live in Manhattan, it's just not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> and so you have to find some way of um, of, of of dissuading people from from doing that because if everybody drove and everybody parked on the street. Uh, traffic would never move again. And I think what you were saying about being reluctant to use your car in New York City is is important. Uh, one of the things that we've learned about parking is that parking dissuades, the challenge of parking dissuades people from driving. And so if the primary thing you're trying to do yeah. is create less traffic, which New York is trying to do, right, to like make room for deliveries and ambulances and taxis and all that stuff, um, one of the and worst things lanes. you can do, yeah, well, and one of, the, one of the worst things you can do is uh, create a bunch more parking because the more parking you create, the more people will drive, the more traffic you'll have. 
Well, is there any truth to that? Are they going to do what they do in London and have congestion parking? Or, you know, whatever that is, we have to, if you come into the city and you don't live here, I, where you have to pay? I think they are going to do that, yes. Yeah, I heard they were going to do that. I know they did that in London. And when I was in Italy, I would see all these people dressed in suits and women would have, like, dresses on. And they'd be riding bicycles into Rome. And I found out that if you weren't a resident, if your apartment wasn't in Rome, which many people who worked in Rome but did not live in Rome, um, when you're not allowed to bring a car there. So you'd see all these people dressed in suits and everything like that driving bicycles from whatever town they lived in into Rome because they couldn't park their cars there. Yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's probably a good thing for the city of Rome that people from out of town don't come and jam up the streets with their cars. I mean, that's that's kind of a... You know, it's a difficult decision that a city has to make, but at a certain point, you know, more and more traffic, there are um, diminishing returns to having more and more people driving in. And at a certain point, the traffic becomes so bad that an ambulance can't get somebody to the hospital, for example. Yeah, I often think about that. I go, God forbid you get sick in the city. I mean, it's uh, tough. So, how, you know, I mean, I could tell you, but I'm sure you know, parking, so when someone makes a decision, you're working with a builder, first of all, how does parking dictate the types of buildings that can be constructed in any particular location? Well, if you decide you want to build a lot of parking with your project, then you're, you are limited in the types of forms you can create. And one of the reasons for that is that parking is really, really expensive to build. Like underground parking in New York City could cost right. $100,000 a stall. So and how are you? $100,000 a stall? Yeah. Yeah. Never realized and if that's that. what wow. if that's what you're trying to do, um, then you know that's not going to pencil out with a, a, a row of you know townhouses in East New York or something like that. So those kinds of projects um, simply not going to work to 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 include that that amount of parking. Um, to say nothing of of the way that additional parking um, encourages driving, right? Which we were just talking about. Um, so. Uh, but then for other projects, I mean, you know, yeah, you can build parking at the bottom of the building. In many cities, you have to, including in New York City. If you're a certain distance from a subway station, um, you are required to build a certain number of parking spots with, with each unit. Um, but at the end of the day, it does it, add, it does add on to the rents. I mean, I think it probably adds about 10 to 20 percent onto the cost of rents. Oh, but of course. But as far as parking... I find that most people that I know that live in the city that have their cars there, they keep their cars there not to drive in the city. They keep their cars there to get out of the city. Yeah. Like, in other words, they don't take their car out and, like, make five stops. You know, they'll take an Uber or a taxi. But um, when they want to get out of the city... You know, if they're going out to the suburbs or to visit somebody outside of New York City, that's when they use their cars the most. Like, my, you know, most people I know just don't take their cars out every day and just go to different places in New York City with their cars. Um, yeah, I agree. But is that, uh, is that a good thing or does that mean that they are um, inefficiently using our, our precious street space to store vehicles that they don't actually really need on a day-to-day uh, level. Well, you could say yes. I would say uh-huh. yes. 
I think I think it's um you know, I think New York City real estate is the most valuable in the world, right? And it is. You can park your car on uh the street for free. Um for days and days at a time for for free. And I, I just think that there's a there's sort of an arbitrage there. It's like everything else costs money. Why did we decide that leaving your car there should be free? Taking the subway is 275 but leaving your car along the street, free. Um, and at a certain point, I, I think it's not really working for us as a city. We have lost out on the opportunity to do other things with this very valuable public space, including raise money from it by, for example, letting restaurants open up their, you know, summer seating and then collecting tax dollars on that. I mean, that collects more money in a year than uh, hundreds and hundreds of parking meters. Well, um, you saw so, that during the pandemic. I mean, um, you know, you were actually sitting in the street with cars right next to you while you were eating. <laughs> okay. And um, I know a lot of uh, restaurants made money doing, you know, they wouldn't have survived without that, number one, during the pandemic. But after the pandemic, they were trying to keep that outside space. And, and who can blame them, right? I mean, this is space that had been given away for free for a century. And they said, well, you know what? Why don't you let us have it? We'll generate thousands and thousands of dollars in, in tax revenue for the city in exchange. And not to mention the contribution to public life and giving people a place to sit outside and have dinner with their dog and not worry about, you know, getting COVID for somebody who's immunocompromised, right? Like, those are all advantages to, to that new use. And, and what did we give up? What did we give up in exchange? We gave up free car storage for one person, one single person. Um, so, again, it makes you wonder, is storing our cars along the curb really the most um, advantageous and, and fair and efficient use of, of this precious space? Well, that assumes you can find a space. To park. Yes. Yeah. Well, again, I that's mean, part you of the can problem. if you're willing I mean, to drive around a bit, or you just sometimes could get lucky. Like, oh my God, I won the lottery. <laughs> There's a space right close to where I'm going. But you know what? It is really. I am so thrilled that you get on because I'm in the business my whole life, real estate, and so I do understand the importance of of how important it is when a building has parking. People want that. But I also never really looked at the opposite scenario about what it's taking away. Uh, like, I never really looked at, gee, what what else could we be doing with that space? Uh, you know, and then I often think, well, okay, look, they have the, you know, when I'm in California and there's bike lanes and stuff like that, I don't think you're taking your life in your hands. But sometimes I think, you know, in the city with the bike lanes and then there's outside dining still, there's still places that have it outside, uh, there's really, it's really like, to tell you the truth, it, it's to, to get from one part of the city, like if you go from the east side downtown, it could take you an hour. Yeah. Um, but is that, you know, to me, that's, that's, again, it's a, it's a, it's a case for, for making New York a little actually less friendly to cars because the problem is that there is just not more room to create more lanes of traffic and more space for parking. In order to do that, you have to turn New York into one of those kind of, you know, frankly, lame 
Sunbelt cities where you get downtown and there's nothing going on because it's all garages and parking lots. And um, one of the great things New York has going for it is that it's not that. It's a busy, vibrant place. Yes, and it is. And one of the trade-offs of that is that it's really difficult to drive. And it's always going to be that way. It's just, it's just there's that many people living in New York and there's that much room for cars. And um, there's really no way around that. So your book, um, Paved to Paradise, does that, does that talk about all those issues? does yeah in my book i go into some of the research about parking and how parking affects real estate and transportation and um the feel of a city street and um and even something as 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 you know fundamental to the environment is um flooding because uh, we've paved over so much land to create parking that when the rain falls it, you know it falls according to the pattern of parking lots that we laid out so you're saying that we that 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 affects why sometimes there's flooding because we don't have the we've covered the drainage. Well, I wouldn't say it's um, because we've covered drainage, but in some places, yes. I mean, like not in New York City, but in like the suburbs, right? Like there, you're in a situation where um, you, in some cases, like in Houston, for example, they've paved over a great deal of natural land to create more room for suburban sprawl. And so that pattern of development consumes a great deal of natural land. And that does, at the end of the day, create more impervious surfaces and create more flooding. In New York, I think the problem is more that we have this sewer system that's a little undersized and built for a previous era of rainstorms. And with climate change, rainstorms are getting more intense. And we saw this um, uh, last summer when, when people died in the basement flooding in Queens. And um, one of the things this shows is that the city has to do more. Uh, not just to potentially expand the sewers, but to catch rain where it falls so that the rain has somewhere to stay and sit before it can be absorbed uh, by the sewers and by the stormwater treatment plant um, and, and not wind up in people's basements. And, and one thing that cities have started to do is they've taken this parking space at the curb and they've started to plant like marshy reed grasses there that absorb a lot of water. And so the parking lane can become a place, you know, in a, on a sunny day, it looks like a little garden. And then on a rainy day, uh, it just takes up all this water and oh. stops that water from going into people's basement apartments. So let me ask you, Henry, when you're talking real estate, what is the profitability if somebody was thinking of buying a parking, an independent parking garage? I don't know how many there are, but as, how about like in New York City? Is that a wise investment? Well, I guess it depends on the price, but I mean, I, I would I just think, think that, that they would yeah, make a fortune. On. Well, yeah, you can make a fortune parking cars in New York City, for sure. Uh, obviously, it depends on the price. Um, a lot of people who have parking lots in New York City are really land speculators. I mean, they're not, they're not really in it for the parking revenue. They are waiting until the right offer comes along, and they can convert that into a 40-story condo building, right? I mean, that's the situation of most parking lots in New York City. They're, just, they're waiting so then- for something better to come along. Assuming that, which I would uh, assume is correct, um, then we will even have less parking lots. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think, that, and that has been happening for 40 years. That we've been watching in New York parking lots one by one get developed into other uses for sure. I, 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 I really can't wait to read your book. Uh, how do people get this? Is it on Amazon? How do we get your book? You've got to read this book, and I have to have you on again, because there's a lot I want to ask you more. 
I would love that. The book is called Paved Paradise, How Parking Explains the World, and it's on Amazon and at bookstores near you. Listen, I'm going to post it on your website, in ca- my website, in case you're driving, so that you get it, because I don't want you to drive and write. Okay, but you've got to read this book. Over the past 20 years, a quiet revolution has transformed medicine. Many conditions that once required major surgery can now be treated with procedures that are far less invasive and often far more effective. Are you aware of these alternatives? Join Dr. Dan Simon for All Things Health, where he discusses cutting-edge medical advances that are providing alternatives to traditional surgery. Dr. Simon is an experienced interventional radiologist who has helped thousands of patients experience dramatic improvements, all without traditional surgery. Dr. Simon will explain latest medical medical breakthroughs so you can be fully aware of your options. Listen to All Things Health on AM 970 The Answer on Sundays and Saturdays on AM 570 and 102.3 FM The Mission WMCA. Have questions? Call Dr. Simon at 1-844-534-3621 or visit allthingshealth.ai or listen to All Things Health on AM 970 The Answer on Sundays and AM 570 102.3 FM The Mission WMCA on Saturdays. To learn more, visit allthingshealth.ai. Mike Lendell and MyPillow are launching the new MyPillow 2.0 with a special buy one, get one free offer. The MyPillow 2.0 offers a brand new temperature regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. The new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a a cooler surface temperature. MyPillow knows core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. The new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. Machine washable and dryable with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee and made in the USA. Just go to the radio listeners page at MyPillow.com, use the promo code AM970 or call 800-651-0798, 800-651-0798. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to buy one, get one free on the new MyPillow 2.0, 800-651-0798. As a local business owner, you get called every week by marketing companies. We get it. We have hundreds of satisfied customers. Here's what a satisfied client recently said. Open enrollment is going great. We're hitting record numbers. Thank you so much for this report. It really is amazing to see how the marketing is really shaping our enrollment around the city. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, Google Salem Surround New York right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Google Salem Surround New York today. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. It's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. The new Salem News Channel, the greatest collection of conservative minds, all in one place. Home to the people you trust. Dennis Prager, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Refreshingly honest, always unfiltered. Streaming free on your TV 24-7. Intelligent analysis for intelligent people. Find what you're looking for at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We were expecting Zach. Um, uh, Zach Erdem, who's a uh, oh, a friend and probably one of the biggest entrepreneurs, bit, biggest entrepreneurs and self-made and owns God knows how many restaurants. Um, but he's not on here yet. I'm not sure if there was a time. I don't know if they gave him the right time or not. Um, so until he gets 
here. I thought I'd talk about some of the things. Well, first of all, our last guest and parking, I think it's something that, you know, I'm going to go and get this book on uh, Paid Paradise, How Parking Explains the World, because I really never thought about it. I mean, I, I know that parking is a problem. And as I said, I, I don't even drive my car into the city because by the time I pay for parking, I really don't use it until I get out of the city. I use it to get out of the city, but I'm not going to start taking my car to different places in the city and try to have to find a space or park, or go to another parking garage. So I, I feel that uh, a lot of people that I know, that's what they use their cars for. They keep them to just get out of the city. And I do believe they're going to bring congestion. I think it's congestion uh, where they, if you don't live in the city, or I think if you, or if you have to go downtown. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to do a show on it, but where you're going to have to pay to come into the city because they really have too many cars, and they don't know what to do with them. So I think they do that in London where they mark your cars if you don't actually live in the city, or you might have to pay if you're going from the east side to downtown. Um, <clears throat> in the next week or two, we'll do a show on that. In the interim, I just want to stress to some of you, because I, you know, I'm always looking at listings online because I'm a real estate junkie, been it my whole life. And I just want to stress to these sellers that, you know, People look at the Internet. You know, they don't necessarily go to a broker first. They first kind of go to an area and they kind of look at houses online, and then they use a broker. But if your house or your home isn't, if the picture isn't beautiful, and obviously if you put a little bit more, um, I don't say put too much, put enough to whet somebody's appetite, don't put too little, but don't you don't have to do every single room. And if there's some, like, you know, take the highlights of your home, and if uh, you know. But if your picture isn't great, um, then they're just going to skip over it. Okay, uh, they look at it in seconds, and they probably won't come back to it. So they will move on to the next home in a heartbeat, and they usually don't even come back. So I really want to tell every seller. Really put a lot of thought in how you're posting your property for sale. And if you're working with a broker, which I hope you should be, um, make sure that that's really something you talk about before you give someone the listing. Say, listen, you know, um, I just want to know what your thoughts are, what you think you would put online. Would you put rooms online? Would you just put the front of the house online? Would you particularly show my back because I have great landscaping and see what their ideas are because that's how people shop. They go online. They actually, I mean, I don't recommend anyone buy something, although some do, but I don't recommend it without actually seeing it. But you don't want them to discount your property before they even saw it. And that's what happens if you don't do that. If you don't, if you don't put a good online picture, um, They don't even see it, whereas, you know, in the old days, you know, they might go to your house and not like it, okay, but they they, they, they at least saw it. And the same thing as I would tell people before the Internet, if they were passing in a suburban area because in the city they don't have for sale signs to speak of too much, 
But suburban areas, if you have a for sale sign out on your home, if so, your home, you really need to take the time to make your home look great on the outside. Because if they're passing and they don't like the the, the, the looks of it from the outside, they're never going to come in. And so um, just so that you know, doors, front doors are totally important. Um, I would tell you to invest in a good front door, or if you don't have the money to invest in it, make sure that it's in good condition and you paint it. And you, some people use bright colors, but that you paint it and you, you, you make it look nice because front doors are really key when people are passing homes and looking at the outside. And then maybe if, if you have a single-family home, you want to put some flowers and make sure that the house is painted and you don't have, you know, chip paints because if someone accepts if someone's passing and they accept the home on the outside then they've accepted the location because obviously they know where it's located so they like the location and if they like the front of the house then assuming that the inside is decent you know it's pretty 50% there you know you have 50% of an interest at least 50-60% and if they don't accept the outside, and if it looks like, for example, if you have bicycles and, you know, garbage cans and, you know, the back seems like has a bunch of junk in it, a lot of times people will think, oh, gee, that person really didn't care for the house. Probably they left their house to be neglected also. So it's really important that the outside, the exterior really shows well, not only online but in person. And a lot of people, when they get ready to sell their home, and, of course, it's important to, you know, when you're getting ready to sell your home, to clear out all your extra furniture because houses show better with less. So I always tell people, you know, clear out the furniture. If you have to put it in storage if you want it and you still want it, just put it in storage or ask a relative to put it in their basement for some for some time. Paint a neutral color, you know, something that everybody likes. I mean, don't go with a trendy color. Just go with something neutral, like an off-white or something of that nature. Also, the lighter the color, the bigger it makes your house stand. Have a professional window person come in and clean all those windows so they sparkle. And if you have any holes or anything like, you know, any like little things that are nicks, take care of them. And people generally listen. I mean, not everyone, but... When you when you're trying to sell home, you want to get top dollar for it. Those are things you do. People pay attention more so though sometimes to the inside. And what I'm trying to tell everyone is the outside is just as important because you'll never get them inside if they don't like the outside. So when you're getting ready to sell, and I would not put them your home on the market until it's done. Like I wouldn't put it half on the market. Like oh, you know, we're just showing. You know, like like some brokers will say, oh, yeah, well, it's really not officially on the market, but, you know, you know, I might be able to get to, you to see it. It's not done. They're working on, on when it's done and it's in pristine shape. And, again, it doesn't have to be that you have to replace cabinets and all that. Just make sure they're painted. You could always replace countertops. And make sure the home is clean. Clean everything out. Take all those magnets and all your kids' paperwork off the refrigerator. If, you know, we tend to keep a lot of knickknacks over time, so take them down, you know, the less the better. 
But don't forget the outside. The outside is just as important as the inside. Okay? Um, and if that you don't do that, if someone does buy it, they're going to want it for a lot less money. So the idea is for you to get the most money that you can. And it's not that expensive to do what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you to replace cabinets, but like to get a window cleaner to make your window sparkle, you can't imagine what that does. I would buy, a, you know, you could get them in any 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 store, CVS, a, department, a, a, a grocery store. I would get uh, plug-ins. You know, they have different scents, and I... Uh, I would put those plug-ins in my house, and they make your house smell just wonderful. I always use them in my house, and everyone that comes in says, oh, my God, your house smells so nice. I'm so used to them, I can't live without them. And you can buy them in the store. You just plug them in into some of your outlets, and it gives your house a nice, nice smell. You can put on some nice little low music. And you'd be surprised that staging and, and, and setting a house up uh, is important. And for most people, it's your biggest investment. So you want to get the most that you can get from it. And you'd be surprised these little things make a big difference. And they're, you know, they're not so expensive. And I said, like, we accumulate stuff over the years, get rid of things. Show the house to be as most spacious as it can. Then do not tell the uh, listing broker not to see it until your house is ready. Let the listing broker that you're going to list it come in as soon as possible. You know, let them see the condition it's in. And the listing broker probably will give you some great ideas that are not expensive. I'm not sure that you need a stager. Like, um, you know, I think that if you have a little bit of taste and you have a good listing broker, you probably can. You probably don't have to have a stager. <coughs> unless maybe all your furniture is a mess. Um, but the listing broker will give you ideas, and they'll tell you what to do, and they'll tell you what things to do. You know, you probably know on your own, but listing broker has experience. They know what, what people want, and they'll give you some good ideas to fix it up before you put the house on the market. You can list it with them, but I wouldn't put the house on the market for people to see it or have an open house until it was all done. Um, I think we have a break. Uh, we'll be right back. I'm going to finish talking about the homes and what you can do to, to have your home sell for the most amount of money possible. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. When a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty, who is there for them or the families left behind? Who's helping our homeless veterans and our nation to never forget 9-11? The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The foundations in the line of duty programs are comprised of its Gold Star Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Veteran Homelessness programs honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engages people in 9-11 remembrance across America. And our Tunnels to Towers 9-11 Institute 
is educating kids in kindergarten through 12th grade to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. AM 970, The Answer is bringing Dr. Lederman's expertise in alternative cancer treatments to prime time every Monday night at 7. Dr. Lederman is triple board certified in radiation oncology, medical oncology, and internal medicine, and is the first physician to perform non-invasive body radiosurgery in the Western Hemisphere. On an outpatient basis, no hospitals, no cutting, no bleeding. Radiosurgery takes minutes, is painless, non-invasive, and usually very well tolerated. Join Dr. Lederman Monday night at 7 on AM 970, The Answer. Take your investment knowledge to new heights this year on the 2023 Eagle Financial Publications Cruise. Join us along with The Money Show on a luxury voyage to the Caribbean and learn from top financial experts like George Gilder and Mark Skelson through workshops and seminars. Relax and refresh, all while discussing investment strategies with like-minded individuals. Secure your spot today at EagleFinancialCruise.com. That's EagleFinancialCruise.com. Eagle Financial is a division of Salem Media Group. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher inviting you to join me for a remarkable travel opportunity that will change your life forever. Dennis Prager and I are headed back to the Holy Land, Israel, this October. It's the Stand with Israel Tour. Join us along with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. We'll take you to key sites in the Holy Land, thoughtfully designed to give you unprecedented access to a region you've likely only read about. Visit StandWithIsraelTour.com and get all the details. We'll uncover important geopolitical locations and show you Israel's significant on the world stage, past, present, and future. Step foot on the ancient streets of Jerusalem. We'll sail the Sea of Galilee, pray at the Western Wall, and so much more. We'll have guides for our group, lavish food, and luxurious accommodations. No other trip will be like this one. Come with Dennis and me this October. Register today. Call 855-565-5519. 855-565-5519. Or go to StandWithIsraelTour.com. StandWithIsraelTour.com. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and I was talking about for sellers what they should do to get their house ready for sale. It's like, you know, if you're going to a wedding or going to your prom, you want to put your best foot forward. So you want to upgrade. Uh, so some buyers say, well, why should sellers say, I don't need to upgrade my properties for sale. That's wrong. Increasing number of buyers today are looking, today the buyers don't want to deal with 20 years ago. They said, oh, well, you know, hey, this house needs work, but we'll fix it up over time. We'll fix the bedroom first, and we'll do the kitchen. Well, they want everything done now. So in, an up mar- in a market like we're in today, sellers can reap. Two to three dollar return for every dollar you spend. Um, in a declining market, which we're not in, but if it was a declining market, they wouldn't get a hundred percent back, but they would get a sale. So you want to do that if you can invest a thousand dollars. Like now, I don't say put carpets down, but I say take them up. If you have carpets, rip them out. People like wood floors now, and take the money and have your floors resanded. And a lot of times when you when you pull the carpets up, the floors are really not in bad shape. You just have to have them re-sanded and, you know, redone. 
it's nice to have an open house, but it's not necessary, okay? Um, I think it's good because a lot of people can come at once, and, you know, it's a pain. Let me be honest with you. If you've ever sold a house, it's a pain in the neck, okay? Nobody wants people there every minute of the day, even though that's what you really do want when you're selling a house. But it's an inconvenience, and you always have to have your house in pristine condition, okay? Uh, You want to have everything kept neat, okay? So open houses get a lot of bars in at once, so I would definitely recommend them. Uh, Signs. Definitely put signs. I had somebody tell me, oh, my house is so high-end. The sign is low, low. No? Okay, you never know when someone's driving around in an area and they see a sign. And as I said earlier on the show, if they see the location and they like the exterior of the house, obviously that's half the sale. They like the location. They like how it looks on the outside. Now the only thing is the inside. So signs are good. I don't care, you know. Every town, you know, certain towns have zoning where you have to follow the town's ordinance, and so they might only allow certain size signs. So you have to go with your, you know, where you live, you, that you can get that information from the town. They'll tell you what size signs, but the broker will know that. Um, as far as will a buyer spend more money on a house than you're listing it for, There's a lot of psychology to that, okay? Now, again, there's a scarcity of listings now, so in many cases people are getting multiple offers. I just read about somebody, I don't know if they exaggerated because I don't know firsthand, but they told me they had 100 offers. I think there's multiple offers, but I think the market's kind of calmed down this year, um, and it depends. Every area is different. I can't talk about the United States of America, but I will say that the way you can tell is, as a seller, if I were you, if I was selling my house, I would go look at my competition. Because it's good that you see what buyers are going to see, because when they see your home, even if your home is the first house they see and they love it, they fall in and they walk in and say, oh, my God, I love this house. Usually, I can't say every time, but usually buyers will say, Oh, I love this. But you know what, Daddy? I haven't seen anything, so I just want to make sure and see a few other things. So if you think about it, your competition is what whoever else is on the market in your neighborhood. You can't go out of the area. In your neighborhood, in your school district, that's similar to your house. And so if you go in and you try not to be biased, because, you know, everyone said, but I, my house is this, and I have great, you know, I did this over, it's better than this. Go in with, try to be, like, neutral, walk in as a buyer, and look at what else, what a buyer is going to see in your price range. That's the best thing I can tell you to do, you know, to go in. And you can even tell a seller, listen, I'm going to put my house on the market soon, and, you know, you're in my area, and I just wanted to see, you know, what your house looked like and what I, you know, you know, and how is your activity? Are you busy? Are you slow? But really, the broker is going to know, and they're going to do what they call a CMA, which is a competitive market analysis. They're going to show you what's listed, what your competition is, what listed, and they're also going to show you what's sold in the last six months. But sometimes markets can change in a month or two. But you also want to ask the broker, 
Okay, these are what's sold, but ask, you want to ask the broker, but how long did it take for that to sell? Now, if it sold in 30 days, well, then it was priced pretty much on the money. But if it took six months or they had 10 price reductions then before it sold, and the broker has all that information so you can get it from your broker, broker has a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of information to give you, and you should utilize it. Okay, um, because then you can get an idea of, hey, what what prices, what the home sold for, and how long they took to sell. sell. <clears throat> because sometimes they'll sell, but it took a long time when they had a couple of price breaks. There's another strategy that people use, and I don't know, you know, nothing works all the time. So, But sometimes people price their homes a little bit under what the asking price should be. So not much, but a little bit under. Like if, you know, if most of the houses are selling at 750, maybe they'll put their house at 742 or 743. Okay? It's just a little bit under and they're feeling that they're going to get more buyers that way. And of course, when you have more buyers, then the chances of more bidding wars and people seeing a lot of people in sometimes can get you more money than you ever bargained for, you know, because it's it's like an auction. <clears throat> I have such a cold, excuse me. But you ever gone to an auction? I once was on a cruise, and it rained almost every day, so we had nothing to do. So what they did is the boats, you know, the ship didn't know what to do. You know, you played cards. You couldn't do really much. So they had these art auctions, and it was the most ugly art. I must tell you, it was, it was not nice art anyway. But since we were bored out of our minds, everyone went. And you know what? We all bid on it. I will go to houses and see this ugly art, and I'll say, oh, you went on that cruise. I, I know because I know that was the art. We had nothing to do, so we, we just bid on it, okay? We didn't even like it. And then I was bidding on this ugly picture, wasn't great, and all of a sudden there's all these people that I knew were bidding against me. And I'm like, hey, wait a second. Stop bidding. I'm trying to buy this. But once bidding starts, it gets into a frenzy of winning. There's a whole science behind bidding and auctions and things of that nature. That's what auctions are about. Once people start bidding, then it's not, you know, it's not only the price, it's, it's oh, i got to win this. So if you are in a bidding war, which there are many bidding wars, because there's not a lot of properties for sale, know your limits, okay? Know how much, before you buy a house, when you're looking, know what you can go up to, and don't be crazy, and just to win the bid, spend more than you could afford to spend, because then you'll be sorry later. I mean, if you can go up, then you should. If you love the house and you can afford to move up, and you want to win the bid because you love the house, then by all means do that. But don't keep bidding just to win if it's out of your financial limits, okay? You you should know what they are, and you should also know how you want to live because, again, everyone's different. Some people say, you know what, this is my first house or this house, I've always wished this is my dream house, and I don't mind giving up not going out to dinner as much or buying less clothes or something of that nature. And others are going to say, hey, listen, 
I love this house, but I don't want to forfeit going out to dinner. I don't want to forfeit buying these clothes that I love or whatever or going to the theater. So you you also have to look at, you know, I often tell people it's not only what you can afford. Sometimes you can get a mortgage for way more than you can afford. I mean, for a lot more. But it's how you want to live. So you go to a mortgage, get pre-qualified, know what the bank will lend you, but then you and whoever you're buying the house with, if you are buying it with somebody else, say, okay, this is what we can what we can borrow. How much are we comfortable with spending? And you might be able to borrow a lot more than you want to spend because it depends on how you want to live. You know, sometimes you don't want to be – well, I don't want to say you don't want to be. Everyone's different. But sometimes you might buy the house and then be cash poor and – you always, when you have a house, you always have to have a reserve. Because, let me put it this way, I don't care if it's a new house, not a new house, You're when, when there's a house, there's always repairs that have to be done. I bought my house, I bought a home in the Hamptons, oh, 20 years ago. Brand new. It was a spec house. I fell in love with it. It was probably the best investment. I mean, I didn't know the prices were going to go up like that. I just happened to love the Hamptons. And... um I had a uh, flat roof over the master bedroom, which is on the second floor, and I didn't even have the house maybe nine months. And all of a sudden, the flat roof, which was over my den, got flooded, and I guess they didn't drain it right. They didn't put the drainage right, so the water just sat. And it ended up going into my den, and it smashed that roof, and that roof and my ceilings and my dead just collapsed. But I had a fix, and it was worth it, and it was the best thing I ever did. I still love it. I think we're coming to an end. Oh, enjoy this rainy day. We haven't had this rain for a while. And we'll see you all next... Well, oh, I won't see you, but we'll be... The Memorial Day weekend, we'll be back. Call in and let me know what you're doing for Memorial Day next week. The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated. Increase your... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.